Well, good morning and happy new year to you. Praise God. Made it to 2023. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody hoping this year is better than last year? Can I get a witness? Two hands up. Amen. Whew, my goodness. Thankful for all the good and the bad that, that comes, but we secretly want more good. Amen. We just do. We don't like being sanctified. I can assure you of that. We do not like, this, like the sanctification process. Remember, brothers and sisters, as we uh, enter into this next year, we're going to try to uh, keep this phrase before you uh, so that you can remember. We're trying to get it programmed into our minds, programmed into our staff. That we are at Parkway Baptist Church. We're driven by the Word of God, transformed by the Spirit of God, and sent by the Son of God to make disciples of all nations. That is what we are here to do, uh, guided by His Word and His Spirit. Um, I, ours was uh, our New Year's Eve uh, New Year's time. Did y'all have a good time, by the way, New Year's Eve? Amen. Did y'all stay up all night? And, okay. For the, past, for the past many years, our New Year's Eve, I think maybe we had some friends come up from Mississippi since we've been here, but for the, for the, generally speaking, on New Year's Eve, we're, we're kind of in the bed by about 1030, and then when 12, one, Angie and I'll be kind of laying in bed, you know, and she'll roll over and she'll go, Happy New Year, honey. I go, happy new year, honey. Back to sleep we go, and that's about it. Is that, is that what happens when you get old, amen? Okay, well, I'm officially old then, so, so happy new year. Now, next year, next year, uh, New Year's Day is not on Sunday. New Year's Day is on Monday, so New Year's Eve is on Sunday evening. So I think next year, y'all hold me accountable on this. I really would love for us to try to do something as a church, maybe do a big bonfire, come up here, have a potluck, you know, if you're in town. Uh, just help me keep, keep tracking on that, because I would love to, to see something like that happen. Uh, so remember this year also is should be, should be a big year for us at Parkway. Lord willing, we should break ground on our new building. All right. In April, yes, your staff is, is going to continue as we have for day one, uh, having a full court press for the gospel this year as we have in past years and trust that the Lord is going to bring the harvest now, part of that, remember, this Wednesday, we start some different small groups in the church. Uh, our faithful administrator, I think she did it, Carol, put some, um, some informational uh, uh, flyers on the wall back there. So as you go out, you can read those if you want to and then decide which one you would like to come. They're, they're going to be fairly brief. They're only six weeks at a time. So if you get into it and it doesn't float your boat, all you have to do is endure five more weeks and it'll change to something else, amen? So just remember that. We're, and these, the purpose of these is to, uh, is, is, to, uh, is to equip you, to equip you in these different areas, try to have the group a little, bit, a little bit smaller, create a little bit more intimacy, a little bit more relational discussion and things of that nature. Just wanted to, just wanted to tag that right quick while I was up here. If you have questions about any of that, just talk to me or a staff member. We can, we can tell you about that. I also want to thank you for something, uh, and you probably don't even realize that you did this, uh, but I want to thank you uh, as your pastor on behalf of the staff because the way the holidays that you give us and the bylaws and the way that matches the federal holiday system, we actually got this entire past week off. Uh, and we spent it with our families. We traveled to Greenville and got to see family and got to see old friends and just spent some time around the house with our families. It was just really, it was a wonderful time uh, off this past week. Just want to thank you for that. Uh, on behalf of the staff. When we went to Greenville and 
We rode the levee for a while. We showed our kids some of our old stomping grounds and visited the graves of our family. So all that is really important for the younger generation to realize, to see and remember where their family came from and because of you and the church, and we got to, we got to do that. Now, switching gears again, last year, who remembers what the message was for New Year's last year? Who remembers? My goodness. Who? No, it was not 2 Samuel, Tony, but that's a nice try. It was close, but it was the story of Josiah, the young king and his reforms. Do you remember that? Josiah? My goodness, y'all really don't remember at all, do you? Okay, well, let's make today a message to never forget. Amen? All right. Well, the story was of the young king, Josiah, and Josiah implemented, they found the book of the law. He went and he began to clean up the temple and to try to get it rid of idolatry because his father had really led Israel in a very bad way. And as they're cleaning the temple, his servants find the book of the law right where it was supposed to be, near the Ark of the Covenant. And when he finds the book of the law and reads it, he tears his clothes because he realizes the grave danger that Judah is in because of the idolatrous ways they had adopted. And so this young king began this massive countrywide reformation where he tried to, to cleanse all of Israel and Judah of idolatry and of the false prophets. And the idea there was to, for us to take that same spirit that Josiah had when he, when he found this into our own lives. And for that year, for 2022, to reform our lives by the word of God. And just as an analytical tool, as you think back on your spiritual walk this past year, would you give yourself a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a thumb sideways? Think about this year and what God would have you do, and that's kind of where the message is coming from today. Today we will be in Philippians. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. And I have the ESV Bible, and the ESV has headings uh, on top of each passage of, of, of the text. And mine says, straining toward the goal. Straining toward the goal. Paul, on two separate occasions in these verses we look at today, will talk about pressing on. Pressing on. Do you ever get tired and do you ever grow weary in life? And especially spiritually. I, I know that our family does. We, we, have a, we have given ourselves to a life of ministry. And we are in one of those lines of work where you don't necessarily always see the results of your work. Sometimes you die before you see the results of your work. Sometimes you may never see some of the results of your work. Sometimes you do, but most of the time you don't. So it's one of those things to where you have to get up every day in what? Faith and continue on in faith that God's going to see the work to completion whether you're involved in it or not. And that's kind of where Paul is coming from. There's other things we're going to talk about, but, but he's kind of getting on this pressing on to the upward call of the goal, the prize, the upward call of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this coming year, to set, to set your mind, as Paul says, on the things above, not the things below, but the things that are above. 
And it's very hard to do that because we live in a world that constantly, constantly tries to grab your attention and keep you in the flesh and keep you in carnality. But Jesus wants to do the exact opposite. Jesus wants to keep us in the spirit and keep us in the word of God and keep us in his will. And so I think that, that this will help us in one step starting off this year going that direction in the book of Philippians. Now, I always have to give you just a brief introduction. I've got about a page here. I just want to give you, just want to just, want to just salt the meal a little bit, just give you a little introduction to Philippians. So the gospel in the book of Acts had begun to penetrate into the Gentile community. Now, the Gentile community is every, all other community except who? The Jews, right? So the gospel had actually begun to penetrate into the Gentile community faster and more broadly than the Jews. And when this happens, the Jerusalem church hears about it and sends a trusted servant named Barnabas to locate Paul in Tarsus and bring him to Antioch to help him manage this mix of Jews and Gentiles coming into the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I told you to be in Philippians, and now I'm going to Acts. Just bear with me. You have to put one finger in Philippians, put your ribbon there, and then go back to Acts. In Acts chapter 11, this is what the Bible says. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So things go well in Antioch. Now, get, get your mind around this. So what's happening here is Jesus is obviously in heaven at the right hand of God, and the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. It's the book of Acts, and we see the gospel being to leave the confines of Jerusalem and go into the, go into the Gentile areas and so we see, suddenly, we see this massive movement of reception by the Gentiles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it, and it causes some issues. And so they go and retrieve Paul. At that time, Paul was in Tarsus. We don't know exactly for how long. But they retrieve Paul because Paul speaks a multitude of different languages, is a Roman citizen, and his culture understands multiple cultures. And so they figure that if anybody can come to Antioch and help sort this out, it would be the Apostle Paul. And so Paul comes at the beckoning call of Barnabas from the Jerusalem church. He goes to Antioch, and they work together there for a year. And things go so well at Antioch and the growth is happening so quickly that Paul and Barnabas are then sent out on three missionary journeys to take the gospel all over the known world at that time. It's fascinating. It really is. If you've, ever, if you've never read the book of Acts, I highly recommend when you leave here today, go home and start reading it. It's wonderful. The second missionary journey of the three would be the one that results in the writing of the letter to the Philippian church that is found in Acts 16. Just a couple of, couple of readings out of Acts 16 for you, just to get you positioned in the text. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. Philippi, very interesting. The city rose to prominence when it became the capital of the Greek Empire. And in 359 and 358 BC, Philip II of Macedon gained control of the city and renamed the city Philippi, the first time a city had been named for its benefactor. And with the resources there, especially gold and timber, Philip dreamed of uniting Greece and conquering the world. But guess what happened to Philip? Philip died. But Philip had a son, and take a wild guess what his name was. Alexander, yes. Alexander the Great. So his son, at the age of 19, Alexander, ventured from Philippi and in 12 years established a world dominion for the Greeks. And Philippi became the showpiece of Greek culture, and Alexander devoted significant energies to its development. It's very, very interesting how much history plays a part in the Scripture. Amen? Very, I, mean, I mean, there's Alexander the Great. That was, that was, that was, his hometown was Philippi, the very, the very city that, that Paul would, would, would have massive conversion, the vision from the man of Macedonia that led him there from God. It's just very interesting. So while Paul was there in Philippi, he would record three conversions to Christianity. Lydia, who met with some other women by the river outside Philippi, remember that story. The nameless jailer, who Paul and Silas would convince to not take his own life, but receive Christ. And a young slave girl that was possessed with an evil spirit. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in jail for freeing the slave girl from this evil spirit, and that is where they met the jailer. An earthquake comes, the prisoners are free, the jailer was about to take his own life. Paul says, don't do that, we are here, and then the Philippian jailer gets saved. So it's a very interesting story. So the church of Philippi was a very special church to Paul that supported his ministry financially and through prayer diligently. So he would write a letter to them, and a portion of that letter is how we will begin 2023 theologically this morning for the new year. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. Now I know that seems awkward starting off with, with that sentence, and I'll explain that. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
<laughs> Does Paul have a way with words or what? He's just incredible. So let's look at verse 12 as we begin here. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, the first thing that we have to do is we have to figure out what the this is, right? When he says that, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. So let's figure that out. So to figure that out, we've got to back up a few verses, And we get to verse 8, Paul says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his, share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that this... The this is the righteousness that comes by faith in the Lord Jesus that is fully realized upon death. Meaning, when your spirit leaves your body or when Christ returns while you are alive and changes your body in the twinkling of an eye. Now notice the progression that Paul gives us. He knows Christ and wants to gain Christ and be found in him, not having self-righteousness, which is actually what? No righteousness at all, but a righteousness from God given through faith in Christ. And through this faith, ultimately know the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, and die like him, so I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what is a righteousness of my own? That's the big question, isn't it? It's all the the eyes, right? I did this. I did that, my this, my that, me, 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 me. The belief and conviction that you are something because you did something, that's self-righteousness. To believe that everything you have and everything you are is based upon you, that's self-righteousness. It breeds pride. It breeds arrogance because it's satanic and ungodly. Paul addressed this in this same letter. If anyone else, Paul says, thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul is building himself up in his 
pre-conversion character and then to destroy it and say, that is nothing compared to who I am now in who? Christ. This is self-righteousness. This litany, this resume I just gave you, this is self-righteousness, but this is God's righteousness through faith in Christ, and this is worth all of that combined. This is rubbish compared to the righteousness that comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that, you may think to yourself, Paul, is Paul bragging about himself? No, Paul's not bragging about himself. He's using himself as an example of someone who thought they were somebody because of what they had personally achieved, but in truth, they realized they were nothing and far from God, and their self-righteousness only made things worse. So you're self-righteous, and then you do a bunch of good works, and so it's like you're double-blinded. You're blind already because you're lost because of self-righteousness, and then your works of self-righteousness just puts a blindfold on top of a blind person. You're double-blinded. Paul says, not, not that I have already obtained all this or am already perfect, so this, remember, is the fullness of righteousness. He has not already obtained it. Why? Because he is still in the flesh. It's not possible for us to come to complete righteousness while we are in this body of flesh. We have to reach what is called a state of glorification when our spirit leaves this body or Christ returns and changes us to be like him. That's a confusing topic, and I understand that. But that is the truth. It's the inaugurated eschatology. Don't you love that word, amen? It means the already but not yet. The last days have come. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus. He came here, brought us the truth, died on the cross. Sins are forgiven. He went into the tomb. For three days he came out. So now we're justified in him. He's at the right hand of the Father. But I don't know about you, but on a daily basis, I struggle with sin. Amen? And if you say, if you say that you don't, the, the, the Apostle John's going to say you're a liar because there's sin in all of us because we're still in the flesh. One of the things I don't like about New Year's is it means I got a year what? Yeah. You look in the mirror, more hair falls out, more wrinkles come, what, what hair you got turns gray, weight's harder to lose, how many achy joints you got, your back, your knees, your feet, your hands. Just about electrocuted my finger off the other day, I'm beginning to you know, lose coordination in certain ways at times. But that's, that's part of being in this world and being in this life, is that there is a deterioration that is happening because of the fall that has not been completely reversed yet that will be reversed when Christ comes back. So that's what Paul is talking about. Not that I've not obtained all this or am already perfect. Paul the apostle says that he has not completely obtained all this, meaning he has obtained some of it. Some of it. He has not yet perfect. It is so hard for me to believe that one day I shall be perfect. Amen? How do you feel about that? One day, <laughs> you ready? One day you shall be perfect in Christ. One day. You're justified now. 
I mean, when you die, you're going straight to heaven. But we still deal with sin and deal with the fallenness of this world. But there shall be one day that you will be perfect. When your spirit leaves this body and goes to be with Jesus or when Christ returns and translates us all, that's the moment perfection comes. Because we, the Bible says, we shall be as he is in the twinkling of an eye. Man, that's great stuff. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says it in a very, very good way that's very helpful to understand. He says, for now, for now, we see in a mirror dimly, dimly, but then how? Face to face and clearly, exactly. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Jesus knows us fully, but we don't know him fully because we are still in this flesh and the limitations of humanity on this earth. But when that ends, the limitations end, and we go to be with him and we become as he is. Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that. I mean, if there was ever a balance of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, you see it in that verse right there. Christ has made us his own, and now we're supposed to do what? We're supposed to press on to make him what? Our own. doesn't mean you're working to achieve it because it's already achieved, but you're being obedient. You're reading the word of God and you're praying and you're hoping and you're living and you're yearning for him. That's what he means by that. Have you ever worked real hard for something? Like real hard for something? I have. Was it physical work? Was it mental work? Maybe you even got to the point in that process that you thought you may not make it and almost gave up. I think we've probably all been there. Paul uses a sports metaphor here and takes it to the end that really helps us to understand what he means. I mean, every time I read this passage, it takes me to high school football. That's where it takes me. Washington Washington School, Greenville, Mississippi, Triple A champions, 1986. I mean, it was just, I was on that team, and I'm telling you, the next year, our coach was so determined that we were going to win another championship, he liked to have killed us, amen, in practice. At the end of every practice, I mean, at the end of every practice we did was called conditioning. Conditioning. I was fine until conditioning came, except the Oklahoma story I told you about, But, but when conditioning came, it was one of two things. It was either six 50 yard dashes or 10 50-yard dashes, six if you won, 10 if you lost the previous week. And I can remember running those 50-yard dashes, and after doing about four of them, I mean, I, I, I did not think I was going to make it. I mean, have you ever run so much that you felt like you was going to throw up? Can I get a witness? Have you ever done that? I mean, that's like one of the worst sicknesses ever, is to run so hard to where you think you're going to throw up. But I did it several times, several times. The coach, right about the time that you're ready to give up, what does the coach do? What does he do? Come on, Shelby! Come on, Shelby, don't quit! Do you want to beat prep or not? Do you want to get to the championship or not? Don't quit! Right? None of y'all had that at football. (laughs) Was it just me he was yelling at? But the coach's voice sustains you. 
gives you encouragement, tells you to press on. And the promises of God tell us to press on. And our faith in Jesus Christ teaches us to press on and to not give up and to not grow weary, but to press on for the upward call of the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul presses on to make it his own. He presses, he moves quickly and energetically toward his objective. And Paul plays a part in pushing forward because he knows Christ is with him. He knows that Christ has already opened the path for him and gone before him and is with him. Just like the coach is with you and pushing you, Jesus is right there and you know he's there. You know he's with you, and you know he's pressing you and pushing you. Christ has made Paul his own. Paul knows this. Paul remembers it well. Don't you think Paul remembered that well about him being God's own? You remember what happened to him, right? The great persecutor of the church, jailing, killing Christians, then he gets permission from the main synagogue to head toward Damascus to this hub city to prevent Christianity from spreading even faster and further. And on his way there, the resurrected Christ puts him in the dirt. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And he was taken by the hand to Damascus and three days later was baptized on a street called Straight by Ananias. Amazing story. Paul remembered that. He remembered that Christ made him his own. On that road to Damascus, Christ came to Paul and made him his own, blinded him and sent him by the hand to Damascus to this, to this Christian named Ananias. He laid his hands on him, the scales fell from his eyes, and he drank and got baptized. Powerful. He was made his own. And Paul says, Paul says, I'm going to reciprocate. I'm going to press on to make it my own. So Christ sanctifies Paul through situational circumstances and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And Paul responds in prayer and obedience and worship. That's what Christians do toward God. And what we see through all of this, and what I believe the point to this whole verse is, is we are all, as Paul was involved, in this process of sanctification. And sanctification is when God takes you and put, he knows exactly where you're going to wind up. Amen? Or he ain't God, right? If he doesn't know that, he's not God. That's why I worship him, because I know he's got the future in his hand. So God knows exactly where you're going to be. And God will put circumstances in your life and put resistance in your life to force you to flex your faith so, he, so you get where he wants you to be in the future. That's what God does. That's the process of sanctification. And sometimes the sanctification can be enjoyable and pleasant, but sometimes it's downright painful and makes you sometimes want to turn around and walk away from the faith. I've been there, I know it firsthand. But I didn't. Because Christ made me his own, amen? And now I press on to make it my own. Next verse is 13, 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We must focus 
on the hope of the future. Notice Paul says, I press on to make it my own. Then here he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So this is a, this is a process that is happening. That's called hope, right? That's hope. I mean, I know I'm on my way, but I'm not there yet. But I think eventually I'm going to get there because Christ has made me his own, right? I mean, I mean that, that's what gets me up every day. And when I'm living my life, is to know that God is on his throne and that Jesus is in my life through the Holy Spirit. He has made me his own. Therefore, I know he is with me. Therefore, I can get up and walk through and try this, this, this wicked earth that we live on and try to make sense out of it because I know God's already in tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. So, to Paul... He is somewhere in the middle of the process of sanctification. And so are we. We've made a profession of faith that was hopefully provoked by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And now we are in the process of sanctification by God through Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we are in process. We cling to the hope of the promise of redemption in the future. That, that's, that's what he means by that. And, he, and he, he is screaming that to us. And he was screaming that to the people of the first century. Because so many people believe the resurrection had already happened. And Paul's like, no, it hasn't. He has not come back yet. He has risen from the grave and he has ascended, but he has not come back yet. That is in the future. And when it happens, you won't miss it. Amen? You won't miss it. You won't miss that. But one thing he says I do... I haven't made it my own. I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, and I love this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I know what that means to me, forgetting what lies behind, but what's important is what did it mean to who? Paul, right? And I have to believe with all my heart that what he means by that is, is that every day that he lived as a believer, he had some of the memories of the old Paul circulating through his mind, of the horrible, evil deeds that he had done to the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, how many families did he tear apart? How many people did he cast the vote to have thrown in jail? How many people did he cast a vote to have, to have executed? I mean, we don't know all of them. We have a little bit of testimony in the New Testament, but we don't know in fullness what all he did. But I believe with all my heart that when he says, forgetting what lies behind, that, that when those memories come forward in his mind, that Paul went through an, an active, purposeful process in his mind of forgetting the old Paul because that man is now what? Dead. I've got a forgetting, I've got to forget what lies behind and I've got to move forward and press on and strain forward for the goal because the thing that Satan is going to do repeatedly Repeatedly, and those of you that have wrecked paths like I do know exactly what I'm saying. Satan is going to repeatedly try to get you to sit and dwell and seethe in all of the mistakes and the failures of the past. Amen? That's what he does. He wants to lock you down, he wants to steal your joy. 
Now, we know that some consequences live on into the future, and that's just, that's just a part of, of, of life and a part of the world. But you're not defined by that anymore. Because who has made you his own? Jesus has made you his own. So you're not defined by what happened in the past. You're defined by Jesus and the hope for the future. Amen? Amen. Forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, back to the conditioning after football practice, you know, after four 50-yard dashes or six 50-yard, however many, you know, you feel it. You feel it bad. You want to quit. You want to sit down. You want, to, you want the coach to stop yelling. You feel sick. You're tired of faster players out running. I used to hate that. I was one of the slowest guys on the football team, and I'd be out there, and I'd just, oh, giving it all I've got, and all these other guys were just, pew, just passed me right by. You've had enough, but you know down deep inside that you must strain forward because the conditioning will pay off in the fourth quarter when you are down by three and all you need is 10 more yards to get to what? Field goal range. So that's the sporting illustration that Paul has given us here. Don't grow weary, don't grow faint, press on. Christ has made you his, and he's going to see you through. So you press on, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how heavy the odds are stacked against you, you press on for the upward call of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Period. Press on. Press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said that there's that, that phrase again, I press on to move quickly and energetically toward some objective, toward the goal, another word, target, for the prize, the reward for completion, and the reward for completion, my friends, and it's this simple, it's this simple. It is the upward call. <sighs> the upward call of the Lord Jesus. When he calls you to salvation, it's an upward call. When you breathe your last few breaths in this life, provided Jesus doesn't return, and your life before you ebbs away, don't fear, because it's an upward call. You're going up to see Jesus and to be with Jesus. And if he comes back before you die, this is what you're gonna experience. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, upward call, with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Upward call. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do not forget, no matter how often the enemy tries to convince you differently, this is an upward call. Upward call. That's not to say you're not going to have bad days. That's not to say you're going to go through rough patches, amen. I mean, all of the apostles except John, what happened to all them? executed, murdered by, by, by the Romans, most likely. That doesn't mean that it's going to be all rosy. It means that it's an upward call to God. That's what it means. And that's where you want to be, amen? That's where you want to be. And then finally, set your mind toward the truth. This is a process of sanctification. We must focus on the hope of the future. And then finally, Paul says, set your mind toward the truth. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So this New Year's, hold true. Hold true. Christ has made you his own. Do you believe that? He has made you his own. Hold true to what you have attained. What do you mean by that? Where you are today. The knowledge you have today. The walk that you have with God today. Hold true to what you have attained. Hold true to it. I mean, white knuckle it. My mom and daddy used to say, white knuckle it. White knuckle that steering wheel. White knuckle it. Hold to it. Hold to the truth and do not budge off the truth of who Jesus is, no matter how hard the culture or anyone else tries to tell you differently, you hold true, hold fast to the good confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? For 2023, praise Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Paul's words that are your words, Lord. The way that he just on this one especially brings it down to where we can understand to press on for the upward call to not get distracted, too distracted by the worldly temptations, but to remember this is an upward call for the goal of the prize, of the upward call of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, Lord, we always, at Parkway Baptist Church, this, 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 this altar is always open to receive anyone that wants to profess, come to repentance and faith and belief in your son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Thank you, Lord, so much for your love and grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.